Hey everyone, it's Sherry Walling. So those of you who are paying attention may have noticed that over the past couple months, I've been interviewing people who have done a lot of traveling with their families. Part of that is a little bit of personal research. My family and I, my husband and my two children and I, are getting ready to take our first big international adventure as a family. My children are seven and three, and um, we are going to be spending the next month traveling around Europe, mostly in Italy. Many of the interviews that I've done recently, the one with Melinda Bay, the one with Leo Woodward, and with today's guest, Jen Miller, have had the dual purpose of helping me to prepare my family for our trip. These are women with a lot of experience traveling and traveling with children. And Jen Miller and her family are unique in that they set out on a family trip on a big one-year adventure in 1998, and they didn't come back. They're still traveling. They've made travel their way of life. Jen and her husband, Tony, have four children, and over the last six years, they have visited 30 countries, ridden elephants, ridden camels, logged thousands of miles on bicycles, slept in tents, slept in campers. And they're managing to get an education while they do it. I caught up with Jen while she was living in Australia for a time. And we had a great conversation about travel with family and about school on the road. For more about the Millers, visit their website, theadventureproject.com. You can find a link to their website on our site, parentingreimagined.org. You can also check out dreamreboot.com also linked to on our website, which is Jen's online course for folks who are wanting to really think outside the box and have some concrete ways to pursue big dreams. So as I've been editing this interview, I've been packing my bags and preparing to take my little troop on our first big trip. And I'm so grateful that I had the chance to talk with Jen because it was very helpful. I hope you enjoy this conversation, enjoy her and her story, and start dreaming about some adventures of your own. Thanks for listening. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. Well, I am, I'm just really excited to talk to you. <laughs> I feel like I have lots of questions about how you set up your life and how it works and all those things. Well, I'm happy to help you in any way I can. Just to start from the basics, so you have four children. Yes, I do. And how old are they? And um, Ezra is 11. He's the youngest, just turned in July. Elisha is 13. Gabriel is 15. And Hannah is 17. I'm loving having teenagers. It is just the most fun stage by far so far. Oh, that's good to hear. You don't usually hear that about teenagers. Oh, but... don't believe everything they try to sell you. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and are you... I know you do some writing and some consulting as well, but do, what's your vocational background? Uh, I'm a teacher. That's what my degree is in, but I haven't done that since since my kids were quite little. 
like you, I decided to, to do other things. And, and having been a teacher, I knew that I did not want institutionalized education for my kids. And so I spent about a decade kind of re-educating myself and thinking through what we did want and um, organizing that. And I've done, yeah, I do some freelance writing for the alternative education and travel markets now. I run a few blogs. I teach a class on how to um, reconfigure your life so that you can live your dreams and work from anywhere that you want to and create your life to be whatever you would like it to be. So I've got my finger in several pies in my spare time. And we travel, of course, full time. Um, so yeah, you've been traveling full time since 2008. You said when your youngest was five, right. how did you come up with this idea? What made you want to do that? How did you get started? If, first of all, to us, it's not that strange. I know we forget sometimes that to everyone else, our life seems really crazy outside the box, but I was raised by a very different sort of family. My parents took me out of school for two years and we traveled when I was eight and again when I was 13. And so to me, it was kind of just part of what you did. And we we had planned from before we had kids to travel extensively with them. Um, So kind of as soon as the youngest guy was within sight of being out of diapers, we're like, right, what are we going to do? And when we had planned to take off and travel just for a year uh, on bicycles through Europe and North Africa, which we did. Uh, but then somewhere along the line, our gap year kind of became our life and the stock market crashed. And so all of our funding disappeared and we had to figure out what we were going to do. And we reinvented our careers in such a way that it would allow us to continue, which is a very oversimplified version of all of the stress that actually went into that. (laughs) Sure. When you say stock market crashed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We were, yeah, it was bad. There's some pressure. Everything we had, we lost in that because all of our savings was in the market and we had saved up, you know, to do this trip and to be gone for a couple of years and overnight it literally was all gone, which was not a lot of fun at the time, but in retrospect was probably the best thing that could have happened to us because it really forced us to reevaluate our lives and what we wanted out of it and why we were doing what we were doing. Um, and ultimately it was what led us to being creative enough to uh, restructure things so that we could um, work in order to support our lives instead of living to support our work, which seems like a hair splitting maybe to some people, but others will know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So what are some, where are some of the places that you've been with your family? Um, well, the first year we bicycled through Europe and North Africa, and that was through about 13 countries. And then in 2009 and 10, we road tripped down into Central America and fell in love with Guatemala specifically. And so we returned in late 2009. We lived for six months in the highlands of Guatemala. Uh, we've road tripped back and forth across the United States pretty thoroughly. We have one country left, or one um, state left, rather, in in the United States, which we will tick off next summer, which is Alaska. Uh, Hmm. uh, And then we, gosh, I guess about a year and a half ago, we made the big hop over to Asia. We spent 10 months in Southeast Asia, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Malaysia, Indonesia, all the usual suspects. Um, And then this year we've been in New Zealand mostly. We were six months in an RV in New Zealand, and now we're in Australia. So that's the short version. I think we're at 30 countries right now, even. Wow. Which is not very many. When we look at the map, it's quite depressing for six years to have only scraped off that many countries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're clearly underachievers. <laughs> well, we are. You know, we have friends who will take one year off and they crank out like 20 in a year. And I think, wow, that schedule just makes me tired. But the purpose for our travels was the education of our children. So we're moving slowly because we're really trying to be in a place, not just check the stuff off the list that's, you know, the top 10 items. So we move slow. 
You're not just doing the the top five tourist no. attractions. No, I mean we, we sometimes will do those also, but you know we like to live in a place a little bit longer and really um, kind of dig in culturally because I think that that's where the the good stuff is in terms of what you learn about yourself and about the world. And you know, a country is not summed up by the things that make TripAdvisor. Yeah. How do you seek out those experiences for your kids? So when you are going into a new place, like when you first arrived in Australia, how do you kind of position yourself or what kinds of things do you look for when you're thinking about how to really engage in a cultural experience for for you and your children? Well, some of it you can plan, but a lot of it just kind of has to happen to you. And I think positioning your life in such a way that you're open to those things is important. It's always been um, part of our family culture to have as many people in our home as possible, even when our home has been a tent while we were cycling. And so we you know, we have people in for dinner every two or three days, no matter where we are. We just find and invite strangers, and that makes a lot of neat connections. Um, mm-hmm. I will look for homeschool groups in a particular area. Where we're at right now, actually, there's a really fantastic homeschool group that has been really welcoming to us, and we've made some neat friends because of that. Um, and we also have a pretty broad network online of other families that travel who happen to be in a lot of the places that we go, and so we're often able to interact with those people who will know someone who knows someone, and you know, it's, that's how those kinds of things are, are born. And, you know, another thing is picking up, picking up hitchhikers, which everyone rails against. But my case study of it is that next week we are going to spend a week with a family that picked my parents up hitchhiking 40 years ago in North Africa. And Hmm. 40 years on, we're still friends with them. And our families have remained woven together and in touch through all this time. And now we're going to go and see them and if my parents hadn't stuck out their thumb and their trip in Africa before I was born, we never would know them. So, you know, it's just being having that attitude of openness to strangers and openness to what the world is bringing you, I think, is, is important. Hmm. What are the hard parts of this lifestyle? What's been difficult? <laughs> um, everything that's difficult at home is also difficult traveling, from <laughs> relationships to laundry to people being sick, uh, all of those same things happen, except usually in a place you don't know, in a language you don't speak. So mm. the folks that think that we are perpetually on vacation, I just laugh <laughs> because it's um, it's so not a vacation. You know, it's just our life unfolding wherever we happen to be. You're working um, really hard. Sometimes finances are difficult. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Getting money, you know, out of ATMs that are uncooperative in weird places, and you know, the political situation at a given moment doesn't always cooperate in your the crises that are created around that. It, there's, you know, there are hard things, but it has to be worth it, or we wouldn't do it, right? So for us, it's definitely worth it. It's we focus on the positive things, and just like at home, you slog through the stuff that's a drag on a given day, and hmm. life is what you make it. <laughs> I think one thing that might hold people back from taking these kinds of trips is fear, like fear for the safety of their children, fear for the unknown, fear of the future, fear of, you know, all that they can't control. Yep. Or, and I guess I'm wondering how you, how you have wrestled with fear. Has that been something that's been part of your experience? I think anybody who tells you they're not afraid is lying or hasn't thought about it deeply enough. Um, Everyone is afraid, of course, whether you're at home or abroad. Uh, For us, Combating fear is mostly a matter of being really logical about things. And so many times the things that really terrify us, you know, the idea of our kids being kidnapped or injured or what have you, you can combat those things with statistics, 
the reality is that in general, people are not harmed by strangers. And in general, if you're going to have a terrible thing happen to you, it's likely to happen quite near to your home, not, you know, when you're out on the road doing something else. Um, we've had a couple of, of genuinely scary moments in our travels, but uh, at the end of the day, there's been never uh, a negative experience. You know, we haven't had anyone harmed. We haven't had any real danger. We haven't had, we've had one iPod stolen in six years and that was out of a hotel room. Mm. People just in general are afraid of the things that, that they shouldn't be afraid of. You know, they're afraid of the things that don't actually come to fruition. And so I think the longer we travel, the less afraid we are because the the greater body of, of knowledge we have of, you know, well, nothing has happened thus far in all of these experiences, even when there were close shaves. Therefore, it is likely that nothing will happen in the future. Um, and you just, you become more confident and you convince yourself that the world is, in fact, in general, a great place to live. And the things that you're afraid of are, were often, you know, unfounded or very, very unlikely. Hmm. Are there a few um, moments that stand out as the the hardest or, you know, the moments when you thought, man, I don't know if we should do this anymore? Um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody has moments where they question what they're doing. And that doesn't, I mean, no matter what your lifestyle is, uh, there was a point when we were just really, um, as we affectionately called it, OA, which means to our family, over Asia. We were just done with a lot of things related to Asian culture. And it wasn't, you know, Asia's a big place, right? So you can't paint that culture with one brush. But it was specifically Muslim Indonesian culture that was really kicking our backsides for a while. And when we we just got to the point where we all thought, gosh, you know, we just want to go home. And we realized, no, we just really kind of want out of Indonesia. <laughs> So, and so we got out of Indonesia and things improved greatly. Um, yeah, so I think there are definitely times when we've done that. And there certainly have been times when we have sat as a family, when we've been at a crossroads point and we could go one direction or another and we'll really talk about, well, what do we want to do? Do we want to keep traveling? Do we want to go home and build our house and settle down? Do we want to travel in some other capacity? You know, when you've got six people in a family and four of them are 13 or older. There are a lot of people with a lot of dreams who should get a vote and things. And so there's, you know, there are negotiations and discussions and, and, um, you know, I don't know what the word is for it exactly, but it, it's a, it's a continual renegotiation of terms and there's never a, there's never one answer, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it sounds like it's a pretty dynamic process. It's pretty, has to be flexible and, and you to some degree have to roll with, where you are as individuals and then as a family unit. Sure. And our kids are at the ages where they're getting ready to launch out into their own lives. And so they have their own dreams and their own goals. And we as parents have to respect that and work with that and encourage that and build our lives around what they're building into their lives. And so, you know, it's not quite as simple as when you have toddlers and you just slam them in the car and, you know, they don't really care. Um, right. You, you know, we're, we're positioning our daughter to leave shortly and our son right behind her and, you know, thinking about what our lives will be like post-children now, which is a little strange. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of, of that dynamic of family life, which I hope happens for even people who are, you know, in one place with their kids in a, in a proper school doing a more traditional life. I hope that those, those conversations and that dynamic exists for families everywhere because I think it's really important to respect, you know, the souls that are part of your family. Yeah, yeah. What are some of your your favorite memories, like the high points of 
the the traveling years? Mm, That's a great question. Um, We have a lot. When we start to sit around and talk about that kind of thing, we we get laughing and we have a lot. And some of our high points are actually low points, like things that really, really, really were terrible, but in retrospect are great stories and we love it. Um, Like the night we camped in the rain and heard wolves all night and Ezra was four and came up out of the ditch with hands full of snakes instead of dinner. I mean, it was just, it was one of those awful evenings. Um, But, you know, riding camels in the Sahara for Christmas, that was pretty cool. Um, My parents came from Canada and camped with us intense on the edge of the Grand Org Oriental. That was pretty special. Uh, riding elephants in Thailand is another one that was a big deal for Ezra's 10th birthday. Um, we got to spend last Christmas in Borneo, which is a place that mm-hmm. I have been in love with ever since I read a book when I was about 15 years old. And that was really very special for us. Um, well, we're planning for one right now, actually. We're, we're about to take a road trip that'll take us all the way up north in Australia to the Great Barrier Reef, and we're going to go scuba diving. Our youngest boys are just now getting their certifications, and we have dreamt our whole lives of taking all of our kids scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef. And so to get to do that is going to be pretty fantastic for us. We're really excited about mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, there are lots of high points, but the other side of it is that, that everyday life should be a high point, you know? Because the only day we have is this one. Um, And we either live that or we don't. It sounds like you love a lot of the the little moments too, the experience of sitting in the cafe and watching things unfold around you or being in a fruit market. Yeah. People who read my my blog will say to me all the time, I wish I could travel with you and see it the way you see it. And I think that you would hate traveling with me. I'm so not interesting because everything that is interesting on my blog is the stuff going on in my head that nobody else sees when they're with me. (laughs) So (laughs) the stories are way better than, uh, you know, than the reality, I think, with me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know about that. Oh, but I'd like to ask you a little bit more about your thoughts about education. Mm-hmm. So you said that um, that deciding on a different form of education for your kids was really instrumental in even deciding to travel this long or this way. Mm-hmm. Um, so say a little bit about that. How do you how do you think about education for them? Um, well, we spent quite a lot of time thinking about it up front. And we've chosen a very careful path with our kids' education. I don't think that you have to trade um, quality and intellectual rigor for uh, a lesser education when you do it in an alternative manner. And that's something that I'm pretty passionate about. Our standards are very high, and and we have not compromised those while we're traveling. Um, If it means anything to you, our philosophy is a blend of the classical and Charlotte Mason philosophies. Mm -hmm. And um, we believe that Travel is one way to learn a lot of those kinds of things. Um, and travel also, for us, supports our curriculum and giving the children a reason why. You know, uh, An example would be learning about um, the genocide in Cambodia, which my friend, when we were there, checked in her son's high school textbook, and it got exactly one paragraph. And, mm. um, you know, our kids got several weeks in Cambodia of just being made absolutely sick to their stomach about, you know, the fact that a guy single-handedly pretty much killed off his country and got away with it, um, essentially. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things give a why to history or to literature or to science that you're never, ever going to get in a classroom between two bells. Not that classroom learning isn't valuable, because I absolutely believe it is, but there are a lot of other ways to learn things that can be deeper and better. And so we really have we've tried to um, tailor our curriculum to the places that we are and to 
to really learn with the connectivity to the culture as well as the location, which um, maybe doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> but, no. but it does in my own head. Or maybe it does, yeah. Uh, uh, so just practically, are you, um, are you toting around boxes of books with you or how are you? Well, how are you doing that? It's much, I have to say, is much easier at this end of the six years than it was at the other end of the six years because technology has increased so much. You know, we now have iPads and iPods and e-readers and all of these things that were just barely beginning to emerge when we were starting traveling. We had a really hard time finding books for our kids at their particular reading level then. Now it's much, much simpler. We do have, the kids do have a few books that they carry with them, um, but a lot of their education is happening online or through programs Mm -hmm. that are loaded onto their computers. Um, Ezra is doing sixth grade, Elisha is beginning, he's kind of finishing eighth grade and beginning high school this year. Uh, Gabe has got maybe another year or so of high school left, and Hannah is starting her second year of classes with Oregon State University online. Um, So it's quite, you know, it's quite easy to coordinate that and make it happen as we go. We just have to pay a little bit of attention to uh, deadlines for Hannah now that her classes are, you know, at some other university where she's subject to someone else's schedule besides our own. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> getting books shipped and stuff has been a bit of an adventure sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's been, you know, for us a very good thing. There are certainly lots of ways to educate a child and I'm, I'm not in any way anti-public school. I know a lot of people who homeschool get really defensive about that. Um, I think there's a real place for public school. Not everyone can and should homeschool their kids. Uh, for us, this has been the best option for our children to allow them to follow their dreams as well as have a very intellectually rigorous education at the end of the day. So, you know, I don't know. I guess I celebrate diversity. <laughs> yeah. And how how are you managing and to work even as much as you do? And it sounds like your your husband is also working yeah. part-time or how, how do you fit those things in or how do you do that? If only there was a clear answer to that. Um, (laughs) I ask because I know it's tricky. (laughs) Yeah, I have to say it's a lot less tricky with teenagers than it was with little people. Um, When my kids were little, I did very little besides parent hands-on. I started building a writing career for myself only about, I don't know, maybe six years ago, um, about the same time that we started traveling, I guess, although those two things were not you know, on purpose at the same time. My husband does database development and design for Johnson and Johnson and Ocean Spray and, you know, companies you've heard of. Uh, and he can do that remotely, which is great. And my writing is freelance. And so I've got lots of different places that I write for lots of different editors that I juggle in addition to our blogs and our stuff. And I do that just because it's something that interests me. It's something that I would like to build as my career for the next phase of my life after my kids are gone, um, because it's something that I'm passionate about. And I don't know, I guess when you're passionate about something and it's, it's for your own benefit and your own interest, you find ways to work it into your life. You make time. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Some weeks more successfully than others. <laughs> yeah. And, and some of it is internet based, right? Yeah. So you're dependent or you need to factor that into your travel plans. All of it is internet based. And yes, we do have to think about that constantly. And if, if we're going to be disconnected for more than a few days, we have to make um, make allowances for that. And, you know, and that's been something that has shaped our journey. There have been some things that we have just haven't done because we couldn't have done them and worked. And, um, so I guess, you know, that's the, the trade-off with making this a lifestyle instead of just a, a long holiday is that we have to make some of those choices. Yeah. You have to do the mechanics of your life on the road. Right. Yeah. 
So you started out with bikes and tents, and have you continued to camp most of the time, or? Um, no, we've done a lot of different things, actually. Um, we have done some, some camping from vans uh, after our bicycle trip was done. We, this last year until now, um, year and a half, I guess, we've we just got our backpacks. And so we're staying in hostels or little mom-and-pop hotels, which are super cheap to do in Asia. Uh, in New Zealand, we purchased a, an RV, an older RV, and we camped all over both islands. But we did that, you know, not in a tent. It was in an RV. This road trip that we're getting ready to take in Australia, we're going to buy another tent. We're going to tent camp for part of that. Um, but we've also, right now, we're doing house sitting. We're in a house in Drysdale, Victoria. Uh, we've done some house sitting in New Zealand. We have done, you, it's very easy to rent a fully furnished house anywhere in the world that you want to be and fairly inexpensive. So we've done that both in Guatemala and Thailand. We were in Africa. Um, so there are lots of different options besides being in a hotel all the time, which would get tiresome very quickly for us because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we're living our lives this way. It's not, you know, because it's not a holiday, we need to have, we need to have home. We need to have a place to have our routines and have our life and you know, not feel like we're always living out of suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) Are there things that you miss about having one home base, you know, like your own set of dishes or, you know, (laughs) are you attached to those kinds of things? Do you miss those things? Um, We have some of those things in storage. So someday it'll feel like Christmas, I suppose, when I unpack them. Uh, Yes, sometimes we do. Mostly I miss a bathtub. That's very important to me and I rarely have one. Um, (laughs) But besides that, I mean, we're not particularly um, stuffed people. We're not particularly tied to the the trappings of a house and home. However, we miss our community of people uh, and we miss, you know, individuals. And at holidays, it's difficult because we would like to be in certain places. But the, the other side of it is, is that we've made good friends everywhere we go. And so when we are back in North America for a period of time, we find ourselves missing other places and <laughs> other communities and other friends. And I don't know, as the world shrinks and people move around more, I think our idea of community is, is changing. Um, and for us, it sure. certainly is. But we tend to miss people, not things, no matter where we are. Okay. okay. So many of the people that I've talked with for this project um, have talked about the ways that parenting have has um, shaped their sense of spirituality. I guess I'm wondering if that's been part of your experience. Um, yeah, that's kind of a difficult question for me to answer. It, Ten years ago, I probably would have said yes. Um, I, my journey has taken me pretty away from... Um, the spirituality that I was raised with and to a point where I would say that I'm agnostic with atheistic leanings at this point. And that doesn't really have anything to do with my, my journey as a parent so much as, as other things internally. Um, but yeah, I was interested that you were asking that question and I would, that's one of the things that I would like to listen through the interviews that you've done and, and hear, you know, other people's responses to, because for me, it feels kind of like it's been the opposite direction. That as life has gone on, you've, it sounded like you started with a a more traditionally religious family maybe, and then have transitioned away from that. Yeah. That's that's, as you've grown into adulthood. Well, I'm not since I've grown into adulthood. I'm only since the middle of my thirties, maybe and onward when our family began, we were still, um, quite religious is not the right word, but, uh, committed to our faith. And it's been something that, that has, um, 
there's been a journey away from that for, for me, for my husband as well, maybe not to the, quite the same degree, but, um, mm. yeah. So it'll be interesting to me to listen through the other interviews and hear, you know, how yeah. that's impacted other people. There's some interesting responses for sure. And some people have, it's been a profound experience and other people, not at all, not, not important. Mm. And certainly there's space for everyone to have their experience that way. So when your kids are ready um, to launch, and it sounds like Hannah is almost there, yep. um, how do you hope they describe their mother and the role that you played in their lives? Yeah, this was another really interesting question um, when, I, when you sent them to me ahead, and I was, I was thinking about them, and I, you know, I, don't think that, um, I don't think that I get to hope that they describe me in any certain way. I think that they're free as their own people to describe their life and their childhood in the way that, um, in the way that they see it. And I know that they won't see our lives from the same perspective that I have. My, Mm. my hope for my children is that they are dreamers of big dreams and that they come away from their childhood understanding that they can do hard things, that they can make anything happen that they want to. Um, and that they are, free and self-determining people, if they come away with that, then regardless of what they do, um, I will be delighted. And I, I don't, you know, it worries me a bit when parents are overly bound to what their kids are going to think of them later on, where for me, I would much rather that my kids focus on building their lives in their own way. And Hmm. hopefully they recognize that we've done the best that we can for them, but they, there's no expectation from me um, that they carry on in the way that we have started them or that they do the things that we have raised them to do. Um, we've raised them to be self-determining thinking people who will be successful in their own ways, which is probably not actually answering your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, you know, the, the question I think actually is designed to get at intention. Mm. You know, what is your intention for your child? And what is the role that you are playing to that end? Mm. And I mean, I think the, you know, the way of asking the question is to sort of reflect backwards. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think you answered it exactly, you know, that your intention is that you raise independent, strong, big dreaming kids who can have their own experience and that you're not necessarily bound to that. Yeah. Well, my dad always said, and I, I think it's very true that, you know, you're raising adults, you're not raising children. Um, and people who, who talk about raising children are so focused on the child aspect of that, that they sometimes forget the end goal. And I much prefer to think about the fact that we're raising adults. And it's always been our, our policy to hand our kids as much responsibility for themselves and their own lives as they can possibly handle, right to the edge of them not being able to handle it. Um, because at the end of the day, you're trying to hand them the whole cake, you know, and I just don't see a lot of benefit in, uh, trying to keep real life from kids. You know, the quicker they can, they can take the reins of their own life, the more successful they're going to be. And that, you know, we've only got three teenagers at this point, but that seems to be bearing itself out in that they are all three on their own paths, doing their own things, responsible for themselves and, um, and very capable, you know, by other people's measures, doing, you know, well and above what, what would be expected of them for their ages. And I, I think my dad's philosophy on that is, is a large part of that, you know, that, that they're, they're adults in small bodies. They're not going to remain children. Yeah. It seems too that the, the experience of traveling, you know, does 
invite children to to have their own experience and mm. to take responsibility in a way that you know may be different than um, a more I don't know stationary experience. Well, they certainly see the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, there's there are things that you're exposed to. Um, when you're traveling full time that just would never find you in a classroom in Iowa in your yeah. entire 12 years. <laughs> they just, it just wouldn't. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's, you know, you kind of cringe and go, okay, well, that wasn't really on the educational plan for this week, but here we go. Um, and I, I do think that that, that lends a perspective, you know, our kids are, are not afraid of a lot of the things that other kids, their ages are taught to be afraid of. Um, you know, we've never had to preach to them to say no to drugs because they've had to step over strung out people in underpasses in the Czech Republic. And, you know, I can remember one of my classic moments where I thought, what are we doing here? We stepped over a needle and a spoon under, <laughs> underneath a, an archway in Prague. And I said to my five-year-old, do not touch the drug needle <laughs> or the spoon. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's not supposed to be in the kindergarten curriculum. But, you know, they've, they've met people who uh, who were engaged in, in prostitution in places. They have met many, many, many drug addicts. They've met people who've gone to excess in a number of other areas of life on the road. And just because by virtue of those friendships and those experiences, you don't have to spend a lot of time preaching about say no to this, that, or the other thing. They can just kind of see what leads productive places in a person's life and what does not lead into productive places in a person's life. And they've had an exposure to many different ways of living. They know they don't need the three-bedroom house that we're house-sitting in because they have friends who live with a mud floor and chickens running in and out in two rooms for eight people. And they're very comfortable with their house also. You know, so, I mean, it's just, there's just a perspective, and it's not for kids only. There's a perspective yeah. that all of us get if we will travel beyond the resort strip um, with the idea of our educations in mind and be open to those things. Uh, and those are the things I think that at the end of the day will matter most to them. You know, not having ridden elephants or been to the museums or seen the Sistine Chapel in person or, you know, those things are all, you know, they look great on a postcard. But the things that change you as a human are the small moments and, you know, becoming friends with Mayan children who you're communicating with in your second language and their second language and just doing your best. Mm. You know, those are the things that we're aiming for with our kids. And that's why we're more about, you know, staying in backwater Australia where nobody would come in their right minds for a holiday than we are about going to the Sydney Opera House, which we also loved. You know, that was great, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But getting in the, the gritty details of life. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and just welcoming people of all sorts, you know? I mean, there are a lot of different people in this world, and a very small slice of them are represented in our home countries. And I, I think it's really great for not just children, but adults also to understand our very small place in the world in terms of culture. Well, that's the, the end of the formal questions that I prepared, <laughs> but is there anything else that you want to talk about or explain more or anything um, else you want to say? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope that people don't come away from this interview thinking that um, we think our life is, is the best way or the only way to raise kids. I, you know, I, I worry a little bit sometimes that, that uh, our experience is so different from most people's and we get a lot of email to the wow effect. Like, you're, wow, mm -hmm. I wish that we could do this, that, or the other thing. And um, 
our life is just a very quiet little life that we we live and we don't it doesn't feel epic to us in any way it just feels like the next thing kind of like everyone else's and i don't think that there's any best way to do it you just we all just have to do our do our best and our best is going to vary from day to day um, and your best with a three and a seven year old is different than your best with a 13 and a seven year old, 17 year old. And you, you just get through, you know, I think it's important that we remember not to, not to overjudge ourselves, but to give ourselves the grace that we give everyone else. And to live the life that we have and that we're making and that yeah, we want. Absolutely. And not, not waste too much time thinking about what other people think about our life. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that everyone should live their dream. If you're not living your dream, change that instantly. Make the ch- choices necessary. You know, if, if your dream is travel, great. Do it and do it now before you waste any more time. If your dream is living in one place and, you know, making a farm and digging deep into a community and growing things organically, then that's fantastic. And that's the thing that you should be doing. And the, the, great, the great sin, the great waste of life is, is living by you know, living by accident, living on autopilot and not intentionally doing the things that you're passionate about. And I mm. think it would be a terrible thing for any of us to get to the end of our lives and realize that we had wasted it, you know, not done the things yeah. that we were passionate about, whatever those things are, um, and to allow everyone else the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. You're it welcome. was really a pleasure and a neat conversation. Thank you for making time. I sure appreciate it. It was nice to be invited. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting. 